0: James says, blessed is the man who endures temptation. For when he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he himself tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed. Then when desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, brings forth death. Do not be deceived, my beloved brethren. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, and comes down from the Father of lights, from whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. Of his own will he brought us forth by the word of truth, that we might be a a kind of first fruits of his creatures." Father, as we approach your word tonight, as we do every week, we want to be faithful in approaching you first. We want to be faithful in asking you, Lord, what is it that you have to speak to us? Lord, as we deal with temptation tonight, every one of us goes through temptations. Every one of us has some issue of which we wrestle and we struggle. And so, Lord, we pray that you would give us strength you give us insight, divine insight from your word. You would fill us with your Holy Spirit, Lord. May it not be man-made, may it not be things that are just sounding clever, but Lord, maybe they, may they be things from your heart tonight. So Lord, we pray that you break down strongholds, you remove distractions, and you fill us afresh tonight. In Jesus' name, everyone said, amen. amen. Christians have the temptation to never talk about temptation. See what I did there? Why is that? Why is it that we always feel as if we're not allowed to talk about temptation with each other? You'll be in your circle of friends and you don't talk about the things that you really struggle with. You might have friends that are Christian and you never go deep with them. Do you have a friend like that? You've been friends, you're both Christian, yet you never talk about your struggles. Why is that? If we're all Christians, shouldn't we be allowed to come together and talk about the things that tempt us, the things that we struggle with? Aren't we we supposed to talk about sin in church? Why is it that we feel the temptation and never talk about temptation? Well, I think there's two reasons. Number one, we want to build up our moralistic reputation we want to build up our own moral status and make ourselves look good and so we, we would say in contrast in opposition to blessed is the man who endures temptation we would say oh how filthy is the man who endures temptation oh how filthy is that is that guy who's so ridden with temptations we don't think of it as blessed oh how happy is the guy who endures temptation, right? Does anyone think that? I don't think that. I don't feel that on a day-to-day basis, I think about all the people that struggle with certain sins, and I think, wow, that's great that the people struggle with those kinds of things. You know, the person who's addicted to pornography, I don't think of that person as being happy. I don't think the person who endures those kinds of temptations, my natural instinct is to say, wow, that guy's a filthy, rotten sinner. And so maybe the reason why we don't talk about those things is because we're afraid of looking filthy because of the expectations put on us by the rest of, us, of our society. And number two, I think we don't talk about it because by admitting struggles, you become vulnerable. By admitting that you're struggling with something, you become vulnerable because visibility with someone vi- brings vulnerability. When people see into your life, it makes you vulnerable because they can tell you who you are. They can say you are nothing but a sinner and you know it's true. It's just like when you're, uh, say you're a guy and you like a girl and you confess your feelings of like to a girl and you tell her, now you're vulnerable, Right? Because you told the girl, oh my gosh, I love you, or I just really like you. You sit her down, you have a conference with her and her parents. Is that how you guys do it? That's how we did in my day. The whole family got together. And I said, hey, mom and pop, if I can call you that. Future mom and pop. You know, I really like your daughter. I don't think you do that. But, so let's say you're a dude, you confess your feelings to this girl. Now you're vulnerable. She could say, uh, get away from me, you filthy, rotten sinner. And then your life is ruined. <laughs> Everything about you is just crumbled. Because you've exposed yourself in uh, a way. That's a, a weird word to use. <laughs> anyway. Shh, let's bring it back. Not to try to get distracted by my own weirdness. You think, what will people think if they knew what will people think if they knew I was struggling with certain things and so we never talk about temptation among our friends and when our friends stumble we feel powerless to do anything about it because we feel like we struggle with the exact same things when your friend that you see struggles with the exact same thing and they stumble and they're caught you don't know how to encourage that person because you have the exact same problem in your own life and you feel powerless how do you confront this what do you do And so your biggest fear becomes, what if everyone finds out? What if I'm the only one who struggles with this thing? What if everyone knows what I really am tempted by? No one will understand my struggles. Everyone will think I'm disgusting. Why is this happening to me? Why is it that I feel this way? Why don't the desires go away? Have you ever prayed for God to take desires away? And he hasn't. I prayed that before. Have you ever prayed, Lord, if it's not your will, take this desire away from me, and it hasn't gone away? Why is that? Well, 1 Corinthians 10, verse 12 through 13 says, therefore let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. In other words, the person who thinks I don't have any problems, you better be careful because that's exactly when you're about to fall. No temptation has overtaken you except such as is common to man but God is faithful who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able but with the temptation will also make the way of escape that you may be able to bear it so first thing you have to realize is that all temptation that is overtaking you is nothing but that is common to man everyone goes through temptation everyone in some aspect experiences what you are experiencing but we often don't feel that way. We often feel like we're the only ones who goes through these, uh, this set of circum- circumstances and set of trials. But in verse 12, it says, Blessed is the man who endures temptation, for when he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life which the Lord has promised to those who love him. And we think, how can he be happy? How is it that this man is really blessed who endures temptation? And that's when you realize he's speaking to the Christian. The person who places his trust in Jesus will be, as he says, approved, purified. As we talked about in the first study that we did in James, that when you can count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. In other words, it's a refining process in which you will be purified when you're brought out. So the Christian who endures this temptation can have the confidence that he will be purified, he will be approved In some sense, the temptation will make him stronger, better. God uses the temptation to make him purified. Just as God, in Ephesians chapter 1, you remember, he says, you have been predestined by God to be holy and blameless. And then the problem is, well, how do you, like, I'm not holy and blameless. What do I do? How is it that God is predestining me to something that I cannot become on my own? And that's the whole point you can on your own but one day you will and the, the whole thing is that God himself guarantees that he's going to see you through he who began this good work in you will be faithful to complete it until the day he returns and so you, ha- you can have the confidence that even though you go through temptation it's just a trial it's just a testing it's not a definition of who you are the temptation is only a passing trial it is not the definition of who you are. When you're a Christian, your your definition, your identity is in Christ Jesus. But you might think if God uses the temptation, we might be tempted to think that God causes temptation. So now we think, well, what the heck, God, why would you put me through all this stuff? Why would you be the one responsible to put me in this terrible position? Why would you entice me to sin? But then we see in verse 13, James answers this. He says, Let no one say when he is tempted, I am tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he himself tempt anyone. So think about it this way. God does not cause temptation. His will is not that you be tempted. He uses the temptation that is in the world because of our own sin to make us perfect. Think about what sin is. It's missing the mark of perfection. It's deviating from God's design. So how can God carry out this will of sin? How could God ever want you to leave him, to be tempted away from him? It wouldn't make any sense. God cannot carry out these selfish wishes because all of his wishes are good. And for your good if you place your trust in him. Because he has named you and claimed you as his own child. And now we have a problem. But Jesus himself was tempted in all points. Remember in Hebrews it tells us. Jesus himself was tempted. But wait a minute, isn't Jesus God? If Jesus is God, how can God be tempted? But God cannot be tempted. It says, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he himself tempt anyone. So if Jesus was tempted, was he really tempted in the same sense that we are tempted? Well, it would seem that's exactly what Hebrews says. In Hebrews 4.15, it says, For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points as we are, yet without sin. So the whole point that Hebrews records this is to show that Jesus understands what it's like to be you. You don't have to feel alone in your temptation. You don't have to feel alone in your struggle because Jesus himself realizes what it's like to be tempted. But hold on. What's, what's, what's up with the whole verse that says God cannot be tempted? It's hard to understand, first of all, it's hard to understand pain unless you go through pain yourself, right? Like it's hard to understand someone that's going through cancer unless you have cancer yourself. So it's exciting news that Jesus knows what you're going through. Not just a fact like he knows all facts. And says, I know that this person is tempted. I know that it hurts very bad. That's the truth and I know it. But God knows what it's like to be someone in that temptation. God knows what it's like to be a person in pain because he suffered the pain on the cross. In other words, God couldn't have experienced and known what it's like to feel physical pain unless he actually experienced it himself in human form. And it would show us that sin, uh, it's not a sin to be tempted if this is true. But if Jesus is tempted and God cannot be tempted, what's going on? Well, there's, first of all, we have to answer the first question. If God, if Jesus is God, how could Jesus be tempted? But then we have a further problem. We have three problems, actually. So stay with me. Number one, how could Jesus be tempted if he was God? But then verse 14, if you look at it real quick, it says, each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed. So, what happens is you're tempted by your own desires. But if Jesus' desires were good, because Jesus is God, why would he want anything that is evil? God, it says, cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he himself tempt anyone. If Jesus himself had only good desires, then how could good desires really lead him to be tempted? It doesn't seem like Jesus could have bad desires. But if Jesus doesn't have bad desires, can he really sympathize with our weaknesses? Here's an illustration. It's like if you have a person who's addicted to cocaine and someone just takes like, I don't know, a bag of cocaine and just like, oh, look, cocaine. That person is going to be very, he's going to be tempted very differently than a person who's never touched cocaine in their life. And you wave it in front of you like, oh, I'm tempting you with cocaine. And you're like, I've never done cocaine. Why would I do it? So can you really say the person who's tempted with cocaine, who's never done it before, is really tempted by cocaine? And I would think most of us would say no. But if Jesus doesn't have a desire that's an evil desire, can he really be tempted by evil? Can he really be tempted? And if he can't, then how could he sympathize with what I'm going through? Can Jesus really understand what it's like to be me? And thirdly, we have another problem. Could Jesus really to be, said, can, could Jesus be said to really be tempted if he could not sin? If it's not even possible that Jesus could sin, can he really be tempted in the first place? So, let me go through it really slowly so you all understand. You're following with me so far? You're really confused already. All right. All you're really confused. So, three questions How could Jesus be tempted if he is God? Number two, if Jesus' desires were only good things, how could he be tempted? And number three, could Jesus be said to really be tempted if he could not sin? So first of all, with the first question, how could Jesus be tempted if he is God? Well, when we first talk about Jesus, about anything, especially temptation, we have to talk about applying the question to two of his natures. Jesus was 100% God and 100% man. Which means you have to ask the question about both his natures. For instance, hunger. Was his God nature hungry? No. The God nature is not hungry. Was his human nature hungry? Yes. Human nature was hungry. What about omniscience? Here's a tricky one. Was Jesus omniscient, meaning did he know everything in his God nature? Yes. Did he know everything in his human nature? No. Why do I say that? Because you remember Jesus himself said, no one knows the day or the hour which I'll return Nor the angels, nor the son, only the father knows. How is it possible for him to say that? Only if he did not know everything in his human nature. Which would also explain how Luke 2.52 says that Jesus grew in wisdom and stature as a child. He had to learn language. He had to learn everything like we had to learn. So some people have said that perhaps you can rationalize this in a way that his omniscience was in his subconscious and in his immediate consciousness, he had uh, a normal consciousness like you and I. And he had to grow in knowledge just like you and I would. Which would also explain why Jesus himself had to pray to the Father. And he said, not my will, but thy will be done. He had to check with the Father to find out everything that he could or couldn't do. So, now about temptation. Could his God nature be tempted? No. Could his human nature be tempted? Yes. And that leads us to the second question. If Jesus' desires were only good things, then how could he be tempted? Well, this is what I would explain to you. And remember, this has dire implications on our Christian life. So this is why you have to pay attention. I'm begging you to pay attention to this because this will trip you out. Not all desires are bad. Not all desires are bad. Do you agree? Yes? No? Think I'm a heretic? All right, here's, here's an example. Desire for food, good or bad? If you say it's bad, you'd probably be dead. Desire for sex, good or bad? Shh. It's good. Sorry, parents. It's good. If you didn't reproduce, you wouldn't exist. These are good things but what sin does is it takes the good desires and it wants to accomplish them on your own terms. So it's not just a desire for food but you want to accomplish it on your own terms it becomes gluttony. Desire for sex isn't just you want to you know reproduce but you want to reproduce on your own terms outside of the marriage covenant that God has for you and what God prescribes. So now applying this to Jesus Jesus only had good desires. But perhaps, because Jesus in his immediate consciousness was not aware of all the facts, meaning he did not know everything but only had to rely on the Father for the things that uh, would accomplish omniscience, perhaps that limited conscious knowledge could allow for real temptations. So in other words, Jesus had good desires, like the desire to hunger. But you remember, Satan tempted him in the desert. In the wilderness, Jesus was really hungry. Was the desire for food good or bad? It was good. But what did Satan do? He said, if you are God, command that stone to become bread. Now the desire is wrong. Why? Because it's accomplished on Satan's terms. Not in the timing that God the Father had for Jesus. Now because of that, if Jesus were to command that stone to become bread, it would have been sin. Because it was not the will of the Father for him to do that. Same thing with the desire for Jesus to rule. He had a good desire to rule the world because it's rightly his. But what did Satan do? He said, I want you to rule. I'll give you everything if you only bow down to me. Once again, a good desire. But Satan said, accomplish these things on my terms by serving me. So although Jesus had a good desire, if he accomplished it apart from the will of the Father... And the will of Satan, it would have been evil for him to do it and it would have been sin. So this is exactly how Satan tempted him using good desires to accomplish evil means. So in the same way, we too might have good desires but need to seek God for fulfillment. Not every desire you have is wrong. There are obviously some desires that are wrong. For instance, raping is bad. That's not good. That's a bad desire. But there are some good desires that we have, and I really believe that people here, there are many people here that have good desires, but they find themselves caught in temptations that are ungodly, and, the, and Satan wants you to fulfill them in ungodly ways. But that doesn't necessarily mean that you're in sin. You remember John, when he was uh, in the book of Revelation, John the Apostle is talking to an angel. And the angel's just tripping him out with all this cool stuff. He's like, Oh, check this out. Why don't you write this down? And John's reaction is to worship the angel. Good desire. He's like, Wow, God is so good. I'm going to worship God. Wrong action. The angel is not God. So the angel's like, Whoa, stop that. I'm just like you. Don't go crazy. John had a good desire, but he fulfilled it in the wrong way. So it might not be evil to seek a relationship for instance, but you need to do it on God's terms. You need to seek God's guidance. Finally, just as to throw it out for you, what about if Jesus did not have the capacity to sin, meaning he couldn't really sin, can he really be tempted? Well, a person does not have to be able to sin in order to be tempted. I think this is easily illustrated by saying, let's say that there's chocolate cake in the fridge. I have a real... Temptation to eat the chocolate cake in the fridge. But let's say I resist that temptation to eat the chocolate fridge. Chocolate fridge? (laughs) Let's say I have a real, I resist the desire. You're paying attention, this is good. I resist the temptation to eat the chocolate cake that's in the fridge. But unbeknownst to me, my mother eats the chocolate cake. So it's not really there. I, I can't really fulfill the desire even if I want to, but I have no problem resisting the temptation because I didn't know that it was gone already. So I think that's a good example to show that you don't need to be able to carry it out in order to not be uh, tempted. So all that to say, Jesus really can sympathize with your weaknesses. Jesus really can understand what it's like to be you because he himself really was tempted. So it says in the latter part of that verse, nor does he tempt anyone Here's the danger of blaming temptation on god number one you'll take sin as god's stamp of approval saying well god's making me sin anyway god's tempting me so i should be able to do whatever i want i'm forced to be tempted by this thing or god made me this way and so i just got to give in to my desires and number two it removes your personal responsibility from fighting that sin why should you fight your temptations if god gave you those temptations Why fight those desires if God gave you those desires? A theologian, Sophie Sophie Laws, says, What must be understood is that temptation is an impulse to sin. And since God is not susceptible to any such desire for evil, he cannot be seen as desiring that it be brought about in man. Okay, but if God doesn't make you tempted, then where do temptations come from? Verse 14. But each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed. So each person is tempted from their own desires and enticed. This is, the imagery it's giving you here is like a lure. You know, a fisher casts out the bait on a lure. A fish sees it. And if it's caught, it's drawn away by its own desires and if it catches onto the hook, it's brought away. It's drawn away by its own desires. We often want to blame everyone else when it comes to temptation and sin. We say, the devil made me do it. I have a confession to make, guys. You ready? Zach's been waiting for this confession for a really long time, so might as well get it over with. The Dominican Republic trip, two years ago. <laughs> it just so happens... This is my night of confession. So this is what happens, there's this beam in Score International. And this is when Andy Dean was leading Ignite and he was turning it over to me. There's this beam here and I was climbing it and doing pull-ups on it. And I thought that was a good idea, but I thought I was okay, in all honesty, I really thought I was the only one going to do it, but I was just stupid because I have a bunch of junior high kids around me. Of course, they're going to try the same thing. So then everyone's on the wall. Everyone's climbing the entire score complex. And then Shannon Dean comes out and says, Zach, what are you doing? And then Zach's like, it was Alan. I was like, it was these kids. I told them not to do it. (laughs) And then Andy's like, what's happening? Andy's like mad, like the Andy mad face. He's just like, what's happening here? Did you tell them, Alan, did you tell them to get down from there? And I was just like, Yeah, I told him so many times. (laughs) And I just like hid in a corner for the rest of the day. And then he just talked to me after. He's like, yeah, man, those kids. And I was like, I know, they're just so bad. (laughs) And to this day, Zach will know. Do you want to give a testimony? We had testimonies before, but this might be your chance. I'm kidding. Zach, to this day, still is scarred by that moment. He's like... I knew that's the moment when you sinned. <laughs> so, I apologize. After two years, I'm ready to apologize. So, we always want to blame everyone else, but the temptations come from our own desires. For me, namely, it was the desire to climb things. But is desire always a bad thing? No, I like climbing things, it's good. It's a good desire. So desire is not always a bad thing. It's not bad to want a relationship per se. It's bad when you take the second step and say, but I'll do anything to get in that relationship. It's not bad to have this desire to to be loved. It's bad when you take that desire and say, but I will do whatever it takes to be appreciated by other people. Proverbs uh, 14, 12. Well, before I say that, I just want to, I want to throw something out there. Maybe I'm wrong. But perhaps in our own limited human nature, we desire to sin. Maybe the reason why we sin and desire to sin is because we lack the ability to see as God does. Maybe because we can't see the future and the results of our actions, we desire to do things contrary to the way that God has for us. Just as Proverbs 14, 12 says, there is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. And that's really the whole point. The consequences of sin is death. That's why this is so serious. If you want to follow after your own desires, your sinful desires, apart from the prescription that God has for you, and saying this is the way to live, you try to do it on your own, the consequences is you are going to die. You're going to have eternal separation from God in hell. Because you're saying, God, I deserve to be God. You don't know what you're talking about. I'm wiser than you and I can live my life the way I want to live my life. You might say, well, you know what? This temptation is just in my head. I didn't act on it yet. And Jesus said, it's lust in your heart. It's not just committing adultery, but you've committed adultery if you've lusted for a woman in your own heart. It starts in your own mind and in your own heart. And then you would say, well, how can I get rid of the things in my heart? How do I get rid of the the desires and temptations that come to me on a daily basis? You need to repent. The answer is you have to repent. You have to turn the opposite direction. You have to give it to God, the one who can save you from those temptations and sins. You can't just aim to cease being tempted or to get rid of the desires. You know what that is? That's called repression. To say, oh, I'm just going to stop being tempted. I'm going to stop desiring these things. You're just going to be repressing those desires. It's like the illustration I always give with cookies. If you say to yourself, I will not eat a cookie, you're just going to want the cookie more. I mean, I don't know what you guys desire, but I desire cookies. The problem lies much deeper than the surface level of trying to get rid of desires. Desires. The problem is, who do you trust to handle those desires? Who do you trust to take care of those things? Do you entrust it to God or do you take it into your own hands? Do you say, God, I got this. I can take care of it. Just give me time. I'll repent. Give me time and I'll be able to fix myself up morally. I'll be able to conquer this in. I can conquer this without any help from anyone else. I can do it. Or do you entrust God? Galatians 5.24 says, those who are Christ's have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires it's not enough to just take care of the symptoms you got to take care of the problem the problem is you're living in the flesh you're living in the sinful nature you are not yet born again if you are not born again if you're not depending on Jesus and you're not a Christian you're always going to be just repressing desires never conquering them so here's the question can Jesus be trusted with your desires Can you trust Jesus? Can you just give it all to him and say, Lord, I surrender my will to you. And I trust that you're going to be able to lead me into the way of life. Some people don't trust others or confide in others for fear of being mocked or exposed. Some people don't share with each other, this is what I really struggle with. Because you're afraid that people are just going to tell other people. You know, I've seen that in my own life. I've, you know, I've had friends that have told other friends hey, this is what I really struggle with. Can you help me? And then that friend tells everyone else, this is what that person's struggling with, as gossip. And you know what? That's messed up. And it's really hard to trust people like that if they've, they've lost your trust in that area. It's really hard to confide in someone else. You figure, maybe I just won't tell anyone because I can't trust that there's anyone really safe to tell these things about. And I'll be the first to tell you that all of us leaders here will never, ever betray your trust. In that sort of way. Can I, can I guarantee that infallibly? No. Do we make mistakes? Yes. But if there's anyone that understands what it's like to break someone's confidence, I can tell you it's the leaders here. We understand what it's like for people to uh, gossip. Because we've had gossip in our own lives. So you are free to tell us and confide in us. And as long as you don't look to hurt or kill someone else or yourself... We won't have to tell anyone of that you have my word on that. So, people fail you, but that's why we have to trust Jesus, first and foremost, and look at the character of Jesus as the proof that he can be trusted. Look at verse 16 through 17. It says, do not be deceived, my beloved brethren. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights. With whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. This is a unique description of Jesus in this passage. That he is the father of lights. Why does he say that? He says, as certain as it is that the universe is there and it's not going to just pop out of existence. You know, the sun will cast a shadow, not cast a shadow, but the moon will cast a shadow on the earth, and there's all these stars moving in orbit, all these things happening in the universe, but Jesus never changes. God never changes. And you can place your confidence in his character and the fact that he doesn't change. You have to first realize that every good gift and every perfect gift is from him. And if he gives a perfect gift once, he's going to continue to give good gifts and perfect gifts he's not going to lure you into temptation he's not going to wish that you die or you perish josh harris says if you ever expect to find victory over lust you must believe with your whole heart that god is against your lust not because He is opposed to pleasure but because he is so committed to it so god desires to bring you into relationship with him with himself and he only wants the best for you because he loves you God desires for the best for you. And that's why he'll continue to give good things to his children. So when we should act, ultimately, when we are tempted, it's not just resisting, but we should act when we're tempted, but the act should be self-denial and surrender to Jesus. Whenever we have these desires that are conjured up, and you say, why do I feel this way? We should be driven to action, but the action is not to commit that sin, But instead, run the other direction and surrender to Jesus. So, in other words, the mark of a Christian is not one who has stopped being tempted. Because that'll never happen. Until you die, you're never going to stop being tempted. You live in this world, and there are trials, there are tribulations. But even though the mark of the Christian is not one who has stopped being tempted, it is the one who finds his escape in Jesus. That's the difference of a Christian. The one who finds his escape in Jesus Christ. First Corinthians ten, twelve through thirteen, as we talked about before, it says, Therefore let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. You can't do it on your own. No temptation has overtaken you except such is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation will also make the way of escape that you may be able to bear it you cannot escape the temptation without the spirit of God do you realize what will happen let's say that you say you know what I can conjure up this ability this fortitude in in myself to resist temptation you say I no longer desire those things but what happens is you repress one desire another one pops up if you stop being tempted in one area it will appear in another area and that's exactly how Satan gets you Satan plans if I tempt him so much in this area, he's going to be repressing it and trying so hard to get rid of it that he finds security in another sin. You might say, at least I'm not attracted to the same sex anymore, so so who cares if I commit premarital sex? Who cares if I look at pornography? At least it's not as bad as being homosexual. Because you look at these variations in grade, uh, grades of sin and you say, well, at least I'm not as bad as what would be judged as really bad by society, so I'm going to indulge it in this other sin. And it could be any sin, but if you use that rationale and you don't depend on the spirit of God, you're always going to fail and you're going to fail and in some respect, some sin or another. And that's why we need to place our confidence in the character of God. Malachi 3.6 says, I am the Lord. I do not change. There's no variation or shadow of turning within him. He's the God of the universe, and he does not he's the, he's the same yesterday today and forever. And you might say, well, what is the proof of this love? How do I know that God really won't change? How do I know he really will continue to give me good and perfect gifts? And that is in verse 18. "Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth, in other words, the gospel, who was us, the Christians that we might be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. God has already demonstrated that he gives perfect gifts by giving Jesus to this world. So anytime you're tempted, it's important to remember that God has something better in store for you. Anytime you're tempted and you have a desire, you've got to remember to keep that desire in check and say, you know what? I have this desire. I want to do this thing, but God has something bare for me. And if I surrender to him, if I escape in, in him, as he's promised me that there's always a way of escape, I will find something much better than anything I have planned for myself. It may not be what you expect, but Paul himself said in Philippians 3, Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them all as poop in order that I may gain Christ. That's the Alan Kahn translation. Rubbish, as they say, but they weren't bold enough to say poop. So in conclusion, this is where it all comes down to the wire. Living in this era with so much technology, I really believe, everyone look up here. So I can see all of your faces. I really believe that all of you here have the potential to be more tempted than any other generation that has ever lived. Think about it. Think of all the technology, all the things that you can be exposed to on a day-to-day basis. You know, not only do you have people that can be tempted in one area or another, you have companies developing applications for your iPhone in which it makes it super easy to do certain things Which are ungodly. And you know exactly what I'm talking about. I don't have to be specific with it. People are developing ways to be sneaky. People are developing ways to be in sin and not get caught. You have web browsers that don't keep histories anymore. So that you don't have to be caught at the sites that you're looking at. You can have your, uh, your cell phone history deleted now. So that you're, you know... A husband doesn't have to be found out that he's cheating on his wife. People are devising ways to be more and more sinful. And you're surrounded by it every single day. But all the temptations that you face, I really believe are honing this generation for something amazing. All the temptations, everything that you're experiencing is only honing you For something else, as it says in verse 12, blessed is the man who endures temptation for when he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life which the Lord has promised to those who love him. It's refining you into a person that God has to do something great for his own sake and for his own name. Think about Jesus. This is really important to remember and maybe you don't remember this. But first, Jesus was baptized. He grew up he was baptized, then he was tempted, and then he began his ministry. In the same way, maybe you are going through so many struggles and temptations now so that you be refined, made perfect, have that fortitude so that whatever Satan throws at you, it won't be enough to stop you because you have Jesus Christ living inside of your heart. And because of him, you are more than conquerors because you trust in him. So I'm not any better than you at fighting temptation I'm a normal guy and I think most of you know that by now you see me all the time I struggle with the same things that you guys do and being in youth ministry for the past 11 years I've seen a lot of people fall away and I talk about this all the time I thought about it the other day like if I count freshman year of high school I've not left youth ministry and being surrounded by retreats and youth groups for 11 years And because of that, I've seen a lot of you guys grow up. I've seen a lot of people my own age grow up and leave the church, get drunk and start doing drugs and having sex and doing a lot of things. And so it's depressing oftentimes because you see a pattern, you see it repeat. And you always wonder, when am I next? What makes me different? When you're the only person out of your group of friends that still goes to, to the same church, it gets really depressing. When all of your friends that were Christian, that went to youth group with you, that prayed with you, you know, have sex or do these terrible things sometimes. It makes you wonder, when am I going to fall next? And it can be really depressing. It can be really lonely. But that's when I remember in Romans chapter 8. And everyone knows this verse. But let me just read it to you because it's put so beautifully. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. that's the verse that gives me confidence. You know what? There's nothing inherent in me that will keep me from being tempted and will keep me ultimately from stumbling and falling and just being another person that stumbles, just being another person that falls away from Jesus. But because I place my trust in Jesus and I've given up, I've surrendered, I said, God, I, I can't do it on my own. That's how I know that one day I'll be counted holy and blameless before him. Although he has counted all my sins and forgotten them, as far as the east is from the west now, I know I'm being refined. And all, all these temptations, although they can be really scary sometimes, just like any of the trials that you guys go through, I know that God is using them. Not because he's causing them, not that he wills them for them to, to be there just for the sake of me sinning and stumbling. But God is using them in the moment to refine me and refine you for a greater work that he has for you. So how do you grow a distaste for the things of this world? You spend time with Jesus. When you spend time with Jesus and you know how great he is and know how he has things uh, only good things and perfect things planned for you, it will make, make you forget everything else.